Disguised as a friend, but you don't know me. For you, I'm no more than a throwaway. You steal my time and you're smoking it. The words you're using over your land. I sell my charm just to pay my rent. How far will I go? I'm wondering. Till I'm out of touch with reality. And wish for someone else in this life to be Lost in a Just for it Lost in a Just for a moment Lost in a moment Skies in violet Just for a moment No more violence Just for a moment Just for a moment Alright, we're live with a Filthy Armenian Adventure Special Edition to celebrate the breaking news out of Austin, Texas about Jack Mason and his podcast, The Perfume nationalist which i'll introduce here live unlike the usual uh the usual faa style where i would be in austin on some kind of adventure with jack hopefully that happens soon in the next few months um but i didn't want to wait for that because there's something to celebrate um it's gotta happen soon i'm sad to be the the first zoom guest but merely a preview of things to come Merely, merely a preview. Yeah, and it's just you know, there's always it's. It, I this is a this is for the uh, the anointed uh, premium people anyway. So, um, it's was it, I the first one? Was I the first subscriber? Uh, you know, the first subscriber. I think you were. I think you were number two, and there was Damn. somebody from Australia who beat you to it. I think these Australians and their podcast habits. They're great. I don't know what's wrong they with their, I don't understand how the how that fucking country is so cucked politically but has like all the all the best and all the most uh independent minded people in it on the ground. I don't get what's going on there exactly. Truly. Well, I'm glad they're shut in and having to listen to hours of podcasts. I I guess that's it's audio Not liberty. Really. I want I want to free them but uh you know yeah, I want I to like free that them too. Spending money on podcasts. You have to take your freedom where you can get it, and they're taking it uh, on through audio. So um, mm. you know, nothing. Just like it's radio free Australia. That's what that's what our jobs are. Um, anyway, for I'm sure everyone listening here knows who you are, but for the few that may not, uh, you are the host of the Perfume Nationalist, founded, established. My histories on Patreon are not reliable. When was the first month that you aired? 2018? Uh, it was fe- February 2019. 2019. So we're approaching the three-year anniversary. And just today, you launched the, the uh, season four premiere, which is a nine-hour uh, wild adventure in Dallas, wherein you announce, and we won't release this until tomorrow, so I hope people will have a chance to hear it from you first, but... Um, you announced in this episode that you are about to resign from your job, your day job as a concierge and become a full-time luxury podcaster. And that's what we're celebrating tonight. I I took the final plunge. I I went to Dallas, all the way to Dallas to send my notice in, uh, one week ago. So yeah, I am no longer a hospitality worker. Take that haters. You're a full-time fucking podcaster, uh, dedicated a hundred a hundred percent to his art, and I want to talk about that that topic, of course. Um, I've now I've uh, the perfume nationalist is a major influence on my podcast, specifically because of the Mall episode one, and this is a what you just released is a uh, sequel to the Mall yeah, episode it's a one. Sequel to the Mall. That's the that's the episode in which. Jack and his brother Ortent, the co-host of the Perfume Nationalist, go out to a mall um, in Houston 
and to the Cheesecake Factory, and they go shopping and everything, and it's all very immersive and ASMR, and it all works wonderfully, and it's the favorite episode of many of TPN's fans, um, and that that really gave me the confidence to uh, pursue that kind of style um, for this podcast. So it's a big moment. Uh, I've described your Twitter presence at Lotus underscore underscore point. Uh, I've described that as like Drudge Report 2.0. And oh. I see, I keep having different metaphors for what the, the Perfume Nationalist podcast is like. One of them is clearly a kind of like this, this new age uh, interactive magazine where you have, it's almost like, where, where it's basically like one entire serialized Dickens story interspersed with perfume scratch and sniff ads and experiences because of your because of how you pair uh, fragrances with every kind of bit of artwork that you discuss on the show. Um, and, you know, you're like, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about what podcasts mean and what the form what kind of function the form has been fulfilling, especially the last few years and especially when produced in this guerrilla format that you produce it, that Red Scare produces it, that, that I produce it, that we all produce it now from this, from our, um, in our circle. Um, and I keep thinking about how it fulfills the function of what magazines have always fulfilled in every culturally vibrant period in every, everywhere through history. Like there hasn't been one where magazines weren't a big part of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like TPN is this glorious magazine uh, where, you know, has like every little thing in it. Um, and, and it's a place where you've created a world in which the 2010s war on art has lost and everything matters once again. Beauty matters once again. The truth matters once again. Um, humor is pursued once again in all its depth and texture and you just don't give a fuck and so many people and you've come out of nowhere you have no background that that you know kind of like that stakes a claim as a commentator except for the articles you've written here and there before you went into podcasting and you're and this world you created has drawn in a lot of fucking migrants uh, including myself of course um so Congratulations on taking it to the on making this leap that you're about to make, and I hope that we, the rest of us, and America, takes that leap with you. Oh, thank you. That means so much. I'm popping a bottle of champagne that a resident gave me a few weeks ago. Um, let's see. There we go. Oh, nice. No, I smuggled a uh, audio of that. Yeah, we did. I mean, I heard it nice and uh, <laughs> potently, so it's. I, I think we got it. I'm opening a uh, Doers 15 mini bar, like a mini bar bottle, which I smuggled here to my to Mama Armenian's house, where I've I, I do my Zoom stuff because uh, the sound the the rooms are a little denser here. Mm -hmm. um, so this will be nice. my. I'll I'll pour it in the mic, and we'll see if we can hear. Ah, yes. It sounds yes. straight out of a commercial. Right. Perfect. Well, yeah. I just caught up on your show, um, and I was really enjoying it. I love having it. Uh, it like, my entire drive back from Dallas, I was listening to your uh, New York episode with Adam Lehrer from start to finish, and um, I really can't get enough of... Uh, avant-garde boredom podcasts like this and the conversations are so good especially your episode with uh, Barrett who's been on my show before I think constantly about the soup in the restaurant um, but yeah this is it was like uh, this Christmas we were talking with my parents and they talked about in the early 80s uh, moving all the way to Colorado, like without a job or any job leads and with two kids. And I was like, I'm such a pussy for, 
being too scared to not have a full-time concierge job while I'm doing this, even though I've been like paying my rent with the podcast and, and then some for a couple years at this point. Um, and so I just decided to finally do it and free up my time and it's I feel better about it than any decision I've made in the last few years. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I want to ask you about if you have any kind of uh, technical, you know, like plans, plans with what you're going to do with the extra time, perhaps, or if you're just going to kind of, you know, let it figure it out as, 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 as it goes on and just be able to read and watch your material before each episode more in a more liberated manner. Or, you know, if there's, is there anything like you've immediately got in mind to, that you're going to add to the, uh, to the routine? Uh, well, the entire time we've been doing it, I've been super rushed and have never been, uh, as immersed in the material as I want to when we record the episodes. So obviously I'll spend more time doing that and more time, uh, reading in the bathtub, um, and, uh, becoming extra familiar with everything that we talk about. But, um, I definitely want to finally write and put together the book that uh, I was actually contracted to do from season one, but I've just never had time to do it. Um, I want some kind of phys physical object uh, adaptation of the show that's not like corny. It's just like a separate work um, that stands on its own. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not in a rush, but if I need to, I'll get uh, part-time work, whatever. I don't know. I'm just excited. This is the first job that I've willingly quit rather than stick around, uh, waiting for them to fire me <laughs> for being a toxic, to. for, for being a toxically masculine, uh, person <laughs> who resists some sort of ter uh, female terrorism manager directive. Yeah. Yeah. And the turnaround for that is typically three years. Like I'm a cancer, so I'm a creature of habit. And I like my suburban comfort, um, so I just never quit jobs. But uh, I don't know. I feel great after well, after after three years of like working so hard on this, and uh, you know, it's not it's it's really fucking hard to get people to pay for a podcast. Pay five dollars. <laughs> I've noticed. I've noticed. Uh, <laughs> They'll all still, you know, they'll send you these messages saying how it's changed their life and everything. And then say, one day when I have enough money, I'll subscribe. And it's like, this is $5, which is the equivalent of 25 cents now. <laughs> you know, Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, not to be a bitch. But yeah, they, I think they've sufficiently learned uh, not to ask for a link within my, for the paywalled episodes within my view. Um, you can find them pretty easily, but yeah, for a long time, it was just like, anyone got a link? Um, you know, people have to realize that, that being a broke ass, you know what, is a state of mind. You know, it's not mm -hmm. actually, it's not an economic material condition. It's like, if you, you can, you can, um, you can elevate yourself financially just by, spending money like you're a grown-up i feel uh I, mm -hmm. I, this is something that adam carolla has talked about for years and years actually um and he grew up poor as can be and, and like was poor until 30 um and he kept on talking about how you don't like don't save a nickel make a buck like be in make a buck mode not save a nickel mode it's a mentality where like this be the type of person who uh, not i mean don't spend above your means and all that sort of thing. Like, don't be an idiot, but kind of like you know, act the part of the yeah. of what you want to ultimately be. You know, it's, and five dollars a month is not a huge Shakespearean leap. And now is the time if you're listening and you haven't subscribed to the Perfume Nationalist. Now would be the good time to do so to bolster Jack in this uh, courageous move away from wage cuckery and into full-time artistic production. Thank you. Yeah, a whole lot of work goes into it. So if you've uh, taken something positive from the show, um, yeah, you should, 
you should pay and support uh, independent avant-garde broadcasting and podcasting. Um, but yeah, the one must have the abundance mindset, a term I really like, which I learned from Mike Cernovich's gorilla mindset, which, <laughs> which yeah. I read last week because we, ha- we had him on our show. Which is yeah, yeah, that's co- and that's coming up next um, week. Uh-huh, the yeah, episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've always lived with the abundance mindset. And uh, one of the most influential things that anyone ever said to me was my favorite professor that I had in college. And by the way, I really liked college. People hate college now, but I had a great time. And if someone were paying for it, I would go nonstop because I like book clubs and I you know, effectively made my own book club with this podcast. Um, but she taught Dickens and she taught a great class on Victorian periodicals, speaking of how you describe the show and magazines. And um, she said, money is a renewable resource. Just spend it. And that's always stuck with me. You know, the the type of people who sit on money very responsibly and can't think of anything they'd like to spend it on. Uh, I've never been one of those and no one in my family has ever been one of those. Uh, you can't take it with you. And speaking of that, um, I just received the last perfume I will allow myself to buy until July, 2022. Um, because the entire last year was spent, um, basically going insane with perfume. Uh, Instead of quitting the job, I'm opening in my hands a bottle of Frederick Mall Carnal Flower. The most Can you do your thing with it? Tubros. Yes. And right. just for the record, I'm wearing in honor of the recently departed Moogler. I'm wearing Angel, you know, like a basic. Oh, boy. when did you get Angel? Oh, I got it a while ago uh, from CVS. Uh, I got a little one, a little star. I don't think it's re- refillable, though. Um, so I've nice. had, yeah, I've had the, the drugstore ones are not refillable there. I like that. They, they designate it separately, like the non refillable stars. It says that in French on the package. Oh man, this carnal flower smells damn good. That carnal smells like $400. Flower. Yeah. It's like the best, uh, most sinister, icy tuberose perfume ever made. I've made myself sick with it many times back in the day. How do you get that? Just like spraying too much of it? Oh, yeah. It's like deathly strong. Uh, Tuberose, uh, as with many white florals, has uh, notes called endolic notes um, that are reminiscent of uh, like rotting meat, dead bodies, uh, halitosis. Actually, we did your very first podcast was for Ka, which was the original uh, big tuberose perfume. Carnal flower is a more like naturalistic, um, less embroidered and uh, stylized version of that kind of. But yeah, it's it's just so tuberose is like uniquely incompatible with food. Um, I think <laughs> it's it's like you're we- you're wearing a beautiful, uh, uncomfortable art piece, um, and it's frosty and just freezes out the entire room. One Does time. It- does it discourage uh, unpleasant people from coming up to you? Uh, um, I think it attracts the right people. Perfect. I think anyone with any sense of um, sense of art or uh, taste or their own senses would be an immediately enamored with the sillage of this fragrance. Uh, but I was constantly, constantly dismayed at work um, when people will just say, it smells good in here. What's the air freshener they're using? And I'm like, you're being exposed to the rarest exotic essences, which I have procured at my own expense from the far corners of the earth. And you think it's an air freshener that a woman manager chose? Um, yeah, you know, it, I'll be it, wearing it, like Norma Kamali incense, which, which is like the greatest, most uh, sin- sinister incense fragrance ever, which you literally can't get any of anymore. And they'll be like, what is that nice smell? Air freshener. Yeah, you know, you remind you're you always give me the vibe of like the vintage Armenian merchant who's been around the world, this traveled the Silk Road, uh, buying and selling spices and flavors and fragrances and all this shit, 
and who is extremely, extremely um, proud of what of his acquisitions and his taste. And and usually in usually in the case of an army, like you know, with with like clothing or with uh, food or with whatever, and like they want, it's insulting to not recognize uh, the, the 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 mentality that went behind. The, the thing that people are enjoying and smelling because of you hunting that shit down and acquiring the right stuff. You know? I mean, how could they know? Uh, like the, the average person hasn't even seen like a movie from before like 2005, you know, I, I like had Kate Bush on in the lobby today and even meeting like a person who knows who Kate Bush is regardless of how much of a meme Kate Bush is and you know how much people on the internet know about her like you never meet anyone who knows has any idea or cares who that is um uh but yeah i have i certainly have uh enormous pride in the collection i've amassed over the years and i love it it's all for nothing it's all um all just for transitory pleasures. It's all ephemeral, but for anyone who knows, uh, like if I, if I came across someone with the collection that I have, I would be bowled over. You know, it's like, it reminds me of, um, in a way, well, first I want to say it's not entirely ephemeral because if I'm not an, I'm not a scientist or, or anything, but I feel like, uh, smell, is a huge memory, is a huge, like, memory trigger. I mean, anytime I smell freshly cut grass anywhere, I am transported into the days of my athletic glory on the soccer field of high school. Um, and and, and be, even before that, like, I'm taken there instantly. I'm, I'm immediately, I feel myself becoming an athlete again. I feel myself uh, back in that, that that time when life seemed permanent, um, and that's just freshly cut grass. I'm assu- I mean, as your podcast proves, your your f- world of fragrance, your emporium of uh, nasal delights, uh, evoke all kinds of artistic associations, uh, life associations, uh, uh, even political associations, or or kind of political, uh, I would moods. Um, I mean, there's no, it's, it's far from, it's far, it's as far from as transitory as it seems. Right. Right. Uh, no, it's, it's the most neglected sense. Um, but it's also the most magical and unexplainable because of the way that it affects you. And I think that's why it scares people who are very safe and, um, want things to be predictable because you can't control the memories that come barreling back. If you smell something with a particular association, of course that whole world of people having strong associations with particular perfumes that are uh, a massive phenomenon um, that they smell everywhere has largely died because of the last, uh, 20, 30 years of escalating scent phobia where um, performative allergies as identity have become the defining, uh, I hesitate to say white woman because um, that's kind of overused and inaccurate, but it's a sort of a statement of class and status to have a bunch of allergies uh, and conditions that you've chosen. But perfume... One plus side of COVID is that perfume has come back in a major way. And I have been smelling different scents on normal people more than I have in 15 years. Um, There are all sorts of mainstream media articles about about this phenomenon, about how people are um, viewing scent, learning to view scent as... um, pleasure for yourself uh, kind of journey for yourself rather than a tool of seduction as it was always marketed. Um, and this has always been, you know, what I've been saying the entire time. So it's nice to feel vindicated in this way, but yeah, since COVID particularly affects your sense of smell, 
uh, people are taking new delight in seeing, experiencing their sense of smell when they recover it. Um, and also, you know, after you lose your sense of smell from COVID, uh, a lot of like doctors and stuff are recommending like smelling essential oils to kind of retrain your brain to learn how to smell things, uh, which is nice. But I got my sense of smell back almost immediately because uh, the grooves in my brain are so scent associated, I guess. You were not let going to let that one go. You were mm. not going to give that one up. I feel no, like. I, and it was terrifying for a minute. I really thought it was going to go away forever. <laughs> I mean, I have I don't know anyone who's lost it forever though. Like there's people who've lost it for like a scary amount of time, I feel, 4 weeks, maybe 6 weeks. I got it really early on though. I got it in uh December 2020. So now almost everyone has had it. Um but for a little while I was quite worried. And when it came back, um certain things were missing. It was just this like this like gray blank space where um, the smell of popcorn was off and the smell of feces was off <laughs> and the well, smell of coffee was off. Oh, that's a, that's a unforgivable. You yeah. Can't it just begin. smelled like dead, dead insects and burned styrofoam where coffee used to be. It was terrifying. Cause I drink coffee all day. Yeah. Same. I mean, as we know, and and uh, the coffee that you do drink, for the sake of the uh, for for the sake of the audience, painting a picture of you reading your books in the bathtub with a pot of Starbucks French roast. Is that right? Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, the skunkiest. The skunkiest Starbucks French roast is the the family favorite. Um, smells alternately like skunk, like weed, and sometimes like tuna salad. Um, I found that the Pete's French roast is also excellent, but. Yeah, my brand loyalty to Starbucks is, um, I I love like you know going to the drive-through and getting a nitro cold brew or whatever, but it's based around the beans that you buy at the store. Yeah, and I've I have added Starbucks French roast to my uh, rotation of French roasts. I that's my favorite kind of coffee. I I have a good selection from this company called Peerless which stocks up various like independent shops around here. Um, and they have a website where I just buy a bunch of like their French Italian roast, French, uh, uh, you know, French pervert, whatever. Like they have all these French roasts, various levels of dark <laughs> ass, you know, just like, it's just like, it's, it's, it's coffee, coffee. It's like soul coffee. This is the way coffee is supposed to be for me. I hate the light communistical roasts that all the fancy shops have where it tastes like some sort of floral soup. Oh yeah, the, I hate uh, blonde roast Ugh. stuff like that. I'll I'll drink whatever when it's available, including like terrible like truck stop coffee. Like I just need coffee. But um, the only kind of like light coffee that I enjoy is good diner coffee that they make fresh, which has to be a real diner where old people go because like. Hipsters and young people don't know anything about making actual hot coffee. They they'll you order coffee at some like hipster retro theme diner in Austin or whatever, and they'll serve you what's been sitting on the burner for eight hours rather than make a new pot. It's disgusting. I'd go to war over this issue. Uh, I've noticed the same problem where, I mean, I've only noticed it because now I I've noticed that people who get it will be like. Oh, you know, it's been sitting there for too long. I think we're going to make a new I'll make you a new one and, you know, if you can wait 5 to 10 minutes. And I always appreciate when the middle-aged waitress says that. You know, oh, versus absolutely. Yeah, the the 22-year-old woman you would need never have. Real diner coffee in Austin, go to Jim's. Uh Jim's is a local Texas diner chain that's like my favorite and they have perfect fresh coffee, but you know, you being a fan of 24-hour diners, you would die for the diner I went to in Dallas. Uh, Ugh. Jay's, which uh, you can still smoke at because uh, oh some of the surrounding um, suburbs of Dallas don't have smoking bans. And it was like perfect coffee, perfect waitress. It, I was really uh, Zane, who was on our Dallas episode, took me there and I was I, I was transported to another dimension. It was the last thing I expected was to be taken to a place this good. 
Can you even smoke cigars? Would they let you smoke a cigar there? Or is it just oh, a Yeah, I'm sure they wouldn't care. Oh. No. I saw a waitress. Uh, you know, most of them didn't have masks, but I saw uh, one of the waitresses, like, sitting in a booth with a mask around her chin, like, smoking a cigarette. It was really cute. Beautiful. I mean, I would, you know, another th- the thing I would, I would, part the fresh coffee part is a battle in the larger war of 24-hour diners, which in L.A. has now been reduced to one independent one. And one mm. norms, which is this chain, which there's a 24-hour one. Um, literally, all the other ones have now closed at three. In one case, now closed at 10. You see, in the case of the pantry, the original pantry, which has been there for 100 years, and which the walls, the entire exterior of, the, of, of this diner in downtown is painted with various uh, variations of we have never been closed since 1920 or whatever the year the year is like all everywhere is like 20, there's a clock uh, is, is signifying that it's been open 24 7 365 for 100 years nonstop and now it closes at three since the pandemic it oh, closed yeah. at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. and Mel's Diner 24 hour spot uh, all of the locations were 24 hours. One of the lo- the the Hollywood Boulevard, lo- uh, like the Central Hollywood location, has been shuttered, as far as I'm aware. Um, the Sunset Boulevard location is closes at eleven to 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 seat doesn't seat you past like ten or eleven now. This is to, this is like the the them this is fighting fighting shit for me. Like this is a oh, big problem I, I, for me. It's the same here. Uh, there isn't a single twenty four hour restaurant in the Austin area. I don't think. Um, Scandalous. Used to be 24 hours and now it closes at 10. Uh, the the diner named 24 Diner uh, is not 24 hours anymore. It's so careless and gross and it's just yet another um, way to snub the quote-unquote essential workers um, because it is it particularly ruined my life because not ruined, but really inconvenienced me and changed my life because the whole past two years, the whole pandemic, I've been working four to midnight. So the only place that I could go get any groceries or anything was like 7-Eleven after work. Um, I would have to plan everything very annoyingly. And then everything after that is fast food that used to be 24 hours that isn't anymore, like Taco Bell. You know, it's like, for some reason, only until three and uh, no 24 hour grocery stores like the. Yeah, that's gone, too. That's the, totally gone. The main uh, the main allure of Walmart for me was always that I could go there at any hour and grocery shop and a totally empty store. Um, and I always loved the vibe, the fl- buzzing fluorescent light vibe of being alone in a walmart at 3 a.m and um now those close at like 9 p.m heb all closes and i'm unclear what it is it's it's like a combination of lacking labor and uh also the weird COVID excuses like any inconvenience or any shitty service or any lack of supplies, whatever, is just, we are doing this for your safety. This ambiguous excuse of safety. Um, And it's really gross. It's really sad that this whole 24-hour world is just gone. And Austin was already bad about not having any restaurants that were open past, like, 10 p.m. It was ridiculous. Like, when I worked at a hotel... I would have New York businessmen who were like yelling at me because they couldn't believe <laughs> that there was no food after 10 p.m. anywhere. Yeah, that, and, that that sounds like me. Like that sounds like me going mm. somewhere on vacation and being like, you know, checking in. I come down at roll. I'll roll down at 10:05 and be like, all right, what's? I'll ask the concierge, and when you get that mm. look. Like, well, hmm, there might be a McDonald's now down here, and it's like, what the fuck is this, Belgium? Like, is in, in Europe. Shit closes uniformly 
at like some ridiculous hour, like 9.30 or 10, all the restaurants would close in these European, many of the European cities. Some of them a little better. I think France is a little bit better. But like I've been in European cities where the, the clock hits 10 and your only option is the Turkish kebab stand somewhere, you know, wherever. Like that's it in the mm. entire country um, or in the entire city. And this is what we decided to emulate. Like I fear that the the problem here isn't just lack of labor, which is probably part of it, whatever. Everything has its role to play. Ultimately, I don't know if, you know, these places – like it made it, it I don't know if it ever made economic sense for these places to be open 24 hours if you do if you're crunching the numbers and you're going to be like well if I could ideally be open only the hours where where it's profitable it would probably be this this and this and this but the idea of being a 24 hour place and being dependably open no matter where the fuck you are and you know what like who no matter when you need me is is that is a that is a a kind of a brand a style idea that's like part of what you're supposed to mean as a mm-hmm. as a Denny's as a wherever as any of these places that were 24 hours that's what they were selling, um, and so when it's like erased from the cultural expectation when COVID has brainwashed us into no longer expecting our favorite places to be open when we need them, there's no reason for them to be open when we need them anymore. There's no reason for them to take the loss for at being of being open at 4 a.m. Um, in order to you know maintain that identity of a place where the lights are always on for the lonely hungry soul to dwell that's what I fear is is happened um because I don't you know I, yeah. I'm sure there's gonna they're gonna crunch the numbers I'm sure once public life returns a little bit more you know Friday and Saturday nights there's going to be a market for post 2 a.m you know when the clubs close food uh, and places are going to open up but the idea is 24 7 seven days a week the idea is not just being open till 3 a.m on a Friday and on a Saturday right and uh, you're serving people who need it like all of this, Okay, now everything comes through the mail system, and the most important thing is truckers delivering all of this stuff and not having 24-hour restaurants and businesses is just an extra contemptuous move on top of all the like vaccine mandates and whatever else. But the whole larger purpose of COVID is just this grotesque, uh, and extremely effective streamlining of culture and society into uh, this panopticon where your options are extremely limited and everything happens on your phone, everything happens through an app, and you're kept in the dark about what the prices of things should be. You've come to accept any level of inflation, and this was the main achievement of the Uber Eats, DoorDash apps that became ubiquitous uh, that, you know, rich people order three times a day. I see it. But they acclimated people to the most insane levels of inflation for food that I've ever seen so that you no longer even know how much a burrito costs. Like ordering Uber Eats from Chipotle costs like $35 yeah, yeah. to get a burrito. Steakhouses are now cheaper than Chipotle. If you actually go to a steakhouse, oh, yeah. it's like a reasonable – you end up spending, I mean, you know, like a, a fraction more than you would for a Chipotle takeout order with like 18 different hidden fees. Uh, uh, you have to tip obviously even though, you know, it's like you're not – it's grim. Yeah, and you also – you get a full old school steakhouse dinner <laughs> with like – with like every you know uh, drinks and like escargot and <laughs> like all the old school like fancy foods for like less than double the price of getting Chipotle via Uber Eats. Yeah, so you know, uh, my advice would be first of all, there's also the fact that there, that you're being at a when you go to a restaurant, you're actually being served. You're sitting in a nice ambiance with a theoretically. Uh, pleasing lighting, uh, you're being a grown-up, you're being, you're feeling kind of, you know, you're feeling like you're part of society, uh, you're hearing the hum of, the hum of public life around you. 
all of the, like, why would you give that up so you can get sh- a food delivered to your home in a shitty manner? By the time it gets there, it's congealed. And, and like, you never leave your house for what? Like, what are you doing in your house? You're not fucking. We know that. Like, what are you doing? Get out of the no, house. It's, it's really sad seeing what actually wealthy people spend their money on. And if you're someone like me, me who's like lower middle class, but has like, you know, expensive tastes and everything, seeing how they spend their money on three phases of soggy, fast, casual pad Thai Uber Eats orders a day um, is really depressing. <laughs> the pad Thai, which you've now memified into the kind of all-purpose uh, signifier of rich order-from-home libs is, is a really nice detail because some there's something – because pad Thai is so fucking unhealthy. Pad Thai is so – it's like – it's so cheap and it yet and yet it just – it's, it, they love ordering it because it has this vaguely ethnic ring to it. Yeah, it has and, a vague air of exotica about it, enough so it seems kind of healthy if yeah. if you walking by quickly at a glance. It's so shit. It is so shit. It's yeah. not only – it's just fucking shit. It's horrible. It's always – it's it, you know, I don't want to shit on an entire cuisine, but Pad Thai is just like – it's just the most – it's like you're eating 20-cent bowl food. It's not properly spiced ever like it's it's such a it's such an empty thing and the fact that that is as popular as it is and this has been like i guess over a decade of pad thai kind of popping up everywhere and all these like weird little bowl food fads popping bowl. up in hipster the bowl uh, has sad bowl. implications it's uh, very sad fur baby and, you know i'm a person who loves i eat every meal in front of the tv i love nothing more than uh you know being a simpsons american that has eaten every meal in front of the tv but everything is in a bowl now because people don't eat at tables (laughs) i'm not saying i want i want to uh you know eat at a table staring at like my family or whatever and having a pained conversation every day but that's why everything is in a bowl now just solitary uh it's just to just to uh, support right. the yeah the sedentary um hulu vision hulu vision that we've all been trained to to have in our free time right. and uh, okay as far as uh restaurants that have not scaled down anything i have to say and this was a bit of foresight on our part you know in the mall episode we ended at the cheesecake factory which became a sort of favorite brand of the perfume nationalist uh because of its uh bizarre maximalist excess and its origins in like 80s california um when la was really desirable and cool and uh the cheesecake factory i went for the first time in a couple years um last week in dallas and the menu is still as massive and insane as it ever was, and the experience was great. So that's uh, it's nice seeing one chain that knows what people go there for. Yeah, they get um, it. Knows why people go there um, for that experience because everything else, especially like the Alamo Draft House, which I used to love going to, it's just this like pared down depressing spare little utilitarian menu with some vague excuse about covid you know yeah the the spare the pared down menus with the vague excuses not not cool not cool at all Mm -hmm. and you know inspired by the um the the valorization the the kind of like the the uh, uh, valorization of cheesecake factory in tpn world i went when i was in vegas the one time I've been in Vegas during the pandemic, it's they were still having masks, um, it, which sucked. But on in, in a single night, we took some shrooms and walked, just went walking. We, and the shrooms were of a particularly visual uh, uh, strain, it turned out, and so which is a great match for Vegas. And so we just went walking endlessly, ate at the Cheesecake Factory 
at the Caesars Forum shops first mm. for lunch, and then for dinner, ate at the uh, Cheesecake Factory Twin Grand Lux Cafe at the Venetian, which is the same thing as the Cheesecake Factory. Just I ate different. there too. We've been the same place. Yeah, and they're the. It's it's literally the same restaurant. It just has different names. Same company, different names. Um, I don't know why it has different names. I don't know why they've chosen for. Like they have six grand luxes or something in the world, I think. And I don't know. I, I'd love to. I'd love to figure out what the strategy behind that. Well, having a we different. We were talking name about is. this last week. Is that uh, so much of the importance of the Cheesecake Factory brand is that they put cheesecake in the name, so you feel right. obligated to buy this massive fourteen hundred calorie right. slice of cheesecake. And I was. I always right. liked cheesecake. I was never a particular like specific fan of it as a dessert, but I love how putting it in the name encourages you to tack that on to your already totally excessive meal. A hundred percent, which is why I'm baffled by why they've, re- they've named some of their other locations. Grand. I just don't get, I don't get it. I'm I, There for, has to be an answer. boring people who uh, are turned away by the name cheesecake. Uh, That's who it's for. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. This is their upscale brand with a different name. Uh, same exact food. Also, the same exact cheesecake offerings. Um, yeah, it's How a great was your point. Experience at the Cheesecake Factory and Caesar's Forum. Oh, I mean, we were. I mean, tripping balls. It was great. It was. It was. Um, I've been there many times. I mean, I've been going to. The, I've had a Cheesecake Factory in my neighborhood uh, since I was a kid, and I'll never forget. Actually, that's not the first one I went to. The first one I went to, I'll never forget. I was like eight, nine years old. My uncle and his friends, who at the time they were single, they were like rock and roll, they were like cool people. They went to the Cheesecake Factory in Marina del Rey, mm. which really cool spot. And it was it, to me, it was a magical experience. They ordered all everything. They had the artichoke. They had an artichoke appetizer come out in the beginning. It tasted so good. I mean, I didn't like artichoke again for years, but I loved it that time. Uh, it was like this. It was it was packed, 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 packed. At those days, you waited a long time if, when you went to the. And they didn't take reservations. Um, this is like the early '90s, you know, oh, and mid '90s. I can't imagine. Yeah, so that was my first. I'll never forget my very first Cheesecake Factory experience. Number two, and numbers two to you know, an unlimited like a, a huge number were at the local one in Brentwood, um, where. They opened one when I was, you know, shortly after that, they opened one in Brentwood, which closed down about, I don't know, five years ago, uh, five, eight years ago. It closed down, sadly. But I, I went there for years and years, many, 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 many times. One time my mom got poisoned there <laughs> early on. Um, mm. She got like salmonella or something from there. One of our birthdays. It happens. It, it happens. happens. You know, you have to kick it. it everything makes you stronger um, in the, you know, you don't, don't be, it's, food poisoning is good. If anyone's listening, yeah. certain doctors are listening. Food poisoning right. is weakness leaving the body. Yeah, you're, it makes you stronger. I love the cheesecake. I've had many encounters with famous people at that very location over the years. Um, a lot of like you know meaningful post high school during like mid high school type of dinners there and college. But can year. you imagine like it's like 1983 and you go to the Cheesecake Factory in Beverly Hills? How awesome that would be! That's another great location, still open, I believe. Um, the Beverly Hills. Is that Hills the original one? It's a good question. You know, it very well might be because I, I I have a vague memory of reading. The I was reading the history at, when I was in Vegas because I was a pre, you know I was trying to absorb as much of detail as I could, inspired by your passion for the Cheesecake Factory. And it's I do believe that it started out in Beverly Hills as a bakery, making cheesecake. Not even like the restaurant that it became. I, I, the way it described it, it was as a bakery in Beverly Hills. So I'll fact check that, but I'm pretty sure that is exactly where it started. Which is funny because my one of my relatives, her father has a has also like this in in the family lore. There is this uh, diner and pizza restaurant that 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 family ran um, that was also in Beverly Hills. Um, and so I'd always hear stories about all the various romances that, including the one involving my great uncle and my great aunt, whose dad had the restaurant, uh, that all like happened at this location. So this like the idea of these like dine these restaurants being hubs of social flirtation and 
cross currents and, and great food and memories and pranks uh, of the older generations of my family is is just so it's such a part of my imagination, you know. Yeah, and you know, after I started gravitating towards the Cheesecake Factory and developed this fascination with it uh, when we were doing the first season. I was like Googling it and everything. And of course it turns out that uh, the Kardashians, uh, Kim and Kanye were always going to the cheesecake factory. And that made so much sense. They were always leaving with the, the big cheesecake factory bag. And you've got to know that, you know, like that must be because of Kim's memories of like going there in the early nineties with her father or something like, I can tell Oh, a hundred percent. Kim's like the, father, like the restaurant scene depicted in the uh, the Ryan Murphy OJ series. Yeah, yeah. The, the Kim's father is exactly the type of person who would have. I know this kind of Armenian very well. Kim's father <laughs> would have loved the Cheesecake Factory. Armenians love the Cheesecake Factory, by the way. In general, they love it. There's one in Glendale at the Americana, which is the outdoor, very. Uh, very, very like picturesque mall, outdoor mall in Glendale next to the Glendale Galleria, the old one, um, made by the same people as the Grove, which preceded it in in uh, on, in Fairfax area. Um, if when you whenever you come to LA, you'll you I think get a kick out of both of these malls. There's a tram that goes through through it that takes people through it. I mean, just for no reason other than just to have a tram. Um, there's a Barnes and Noble in, in it, and there's a Cheesecake mm. Factory in it, um, and and it's always packed. Um, there's something, you know, the the large portions and the tremendous array of options is very appealing to the Armenian looking for an American type of experience. You know, um, I know for a fact, without ever having met him, that Robert Kardashian would have lo- like went to the Cheesecake Factory a lot. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt in Wearing my mind. some big, ugly, n- mid-90s tie. Yeah, like. yeah, big, ugly, always. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and you know, his favorite thing would have been ordering a lot of appetizers. Um, without any doubt, he, oh, he would order several appetizers, Cheeseburger always including the calamari. Yeah. Always, in- <laughs> yeah, always including calamari. He would get, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, because that's also, that's another thing is, is, is uh, like, ex- uh, an array of appetizers is a, is a very traditional habit in Armenian eating. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like the word meze, which is, I believe, Greek for appetizer, if I'm not wrong. Maybe it's Turkish, I, um, but I think it's Greek, is is also one we use to describe that, that stage of the experience. Um, mm-hmm. And also another thing Armenians are known for, and I am not least among them, is a preference for ranch dressing as a dipping sauce. Um, especially as a dipping sauce, in my case also as a salad dressing. And you can bet loads of that were also ordered at the Kardashian table, purely speculatively. I think this is all 100% true. I don't I love, want... I love that we're like conspiracy theorying. <laughs> the Kardashian. Uh, like, uh, it's, like, it's like the Kennedy shooting. Yeah. Imagining hypothetically the Kardashians going to Cheesecake Factory in 1993. The Zapruder z- zucchini angle, sticks. Yeah, <laughs> when the just, calamari and I just, seems very accurate. There's a, the calamari for sure, and also the avocado rolls. The spring oh, avocado yeah. spring roll was definitely ordered every single time at that table at when they they went there. Yeah, calamari in the '90s was still like a kind of uh, exotic and exciting thing. You could be like, it's squid. Oh my god, right. you know, but it's like fried. Fried it's just fr- it's, it's literally French fries from the ocean, basically. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's a good <laughs> scene in um, uh, Mike White's Enlightened, uh, where Laura Dern uh, gets her like depressing new job, and they're they're in like one of the shitty suburbs of L.A. Uh, deliberately like unglamorous, and they go to a, a restaurant called uh, the Ranch Skillet and order calamari and it's like a perfect detail. Oh, I got to watch that film. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah. It's the, the calamari avocado spring rolls. Yeah. And, and um, you know, there, there it is, there are trends with which appetizers kind of uh, become, you know, like uh, tend to be ordered every single time. And these do, th- these do change. But in that era, a hundred percent, the calamari would have been, 
would have been part of it. Um, Something I'm really impressed about with your show is your ability to constantly talk and maintain and direct conversations while eating. Because um, my my traditional uh, method of eating at a restaurant is to like talk to people until the order arrives, and then wolf it down without chewing uh, in five minutes, and then maybe talk afterward. Um, as you can see on the uh, our uh, season premiere episode, there are long, long periods of silence where I can't think of anything to say because I find. Uh, talking to people actually quite terrifying, even though I now do it for a living. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, it's just seamless. It's like a Woody Allen movie where uh, just you have these two hour conversations where it seems like you're eating a meal the entire time, but it's very leisurely. Like I imagine sophisticated people eat. You know, I appreciate the compliment, and I think it. If you know, I haven't. I never thought of it this way because until I started doing this podcast, where I find myself uh, recording and eating at the same time frequently, um, not exclusively at restaurants, obviously, but several of the episodes so far have featured restaurants um, in whole or in part. Um, and I think it, you know, I mean, one of the my motivations for doing the podcast in this way is to was to capture. This is similar to kind of how why perfume exploded during the pandemic. Uh, during this pandemic, you know, I'd always been wanting to do a pod, like every like every other person. I, you know, I wanted to do a podcast. I wanted to do a podcast. What what to do? What to fucking do? Um, and and what to do that doesn't depend upon a magical partner that I could never find to to be my you know second mic or whatever. Um, and one of the things that, of course. I ended up aching for the most in the two fucking year, year and a half, more than a year and a half that LA was closed, were all the the diners, the restaurants, all all the favorite places that I had that I would go and chill and write and and bull brainstorm and have bull sessions with my friends with uh, uh, at all hours of the night the and late day. night bull sessions of the 1960s as Camille Paglia says late night bull sessions of the 1960s this is how i grew up so this is like <laughs> this is my life as a grown as a as a functioning adult since the age of 15 i missed that so much and so that was one, like these locations. And I'm, I'm so, I have several. I have so many in L.A. I mean, one good thing is not only in L.A., but as you'll see as we develop, as, this, as, as Filthy Armenian Adventures progresses, there's a lot that goes into being – there's a lot the, – the equation of L.A. includes the De Palm Springs. It includes Vegas. It includes uh, the beaches of Orange County, Laguna Beach. It includes uh, the mountains. There's a lot within a two- to four-hour radius – uh, that all if you if you grew up in LA, born and raised, it's all part of your personal geography, the geography of your soul. Um, so it all of that is part of it, and I missed all of it for a year and a half. And I was just like, even just being able to be in these places became a I, I, I started to yearn for. So that's one. And then number two is the conversations with my friends are the only things that kept me going during this pandemic during which, as you know, and I don't want to get into it now, it involved one uh, personal and professional catastrophe after another, uh, and it got everything unraveled at, to such a horrifying degree where the only thing that kept me going were these really deep and reflective conversations with my close friends, my few close friends, um, where we, for the first time in my life, Re-examined every single kind of chapter of of my of our lives, like chapters that uh, I think frequently what what happens is you get past at least if you're me you get past a certain phase and you sort of don't want to think about it for a while. Uh, you've you you're you're in a new phase and you can't afford to reckon with all the weird question marks of the old phase. And in my case given the complicated nature of my life <laughs> internally, this has especially been true. And there are whole segments of my, of my past that I hadn't seriously thought about since they happened. 
you know, I kind of had it, I've, I encapsulated it into this. Well, that was a, that was a stage and well, moth, you know, da, 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 yeah. no need to dwell. You know, you just, they're, they're different phases. Like there, it was a very go, go, go time between 2014 and 2019 for me. It was like, now you don't, now's not the time to step back into high school and step back into college and step back into uh, Ayn Rand. Now's the time to just go forward and figure out the, 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 the mainstream world and its rules. And during the pandemic, I ended up revisiting many of the most uh, hidden and buried parts of my life. And so combining the, combining the atmospheric uh, yearnings with the desire to capture the intimate conversations that kept me going during the pandemic is a large part of what informs Filthy Armenian Adventures. And where was I going with this? I was going somewhere. With, I was going somewhere. No, I, I totally get it. No, it feels good because you're you are creating an autobiography of sorts. You're, you know, especially if you're a creatively stifled person who, like I, all throughout my twenties was literally just doing things that had nothing to do with anything that I had ever imagined for myself. And I like, I knew that I had some, something like call it a talent, whatever. I always knew I was like an interesting person. That sounds awful, but every millennial thinks that they're like a create a stifled creative type um, that deserves a creative career. But you actually are. Um, <laughs> like well, it's true. Uh, it's uh, yeah, that's the thing, it, though. There, it, 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 it just because everyone thinks it because the economy kind of like gives them nothing else to think about necessarily. I know, and but it sounds bad when you say it of about course. yourself. But really, like I, I knew, like I had failed in some massive way because I yeah, had, same. I had dropped. I I had not finished grad school. I planned on becoming a professor. Okay. Um, I couldn't, I liked college, but I couldn't think of anything I wanted to do besides like, I like reading books, so I'll just do this forever. And all the professors were like, there's no future in this. There's no future in being a professor. It's like, okay, I'll do it. But then as soon as I started living on my own and got my first full-time job, editing, copy editing erotica, um, I just stopped going to school um i had two more semesters of uh master's program and i just stopped i wish i had finished but at least i finished my bachelor's um and then the next few years were just spent in this like wasteland of hospitality jobs and uh all of these like thoughts that I had just kind of stifled and uh, contained in my head in this very sad way. And I had sworn off ever going on social media again. Uh, I felt very alienated because of the escalating extreme political situation from everyone I had ever known. Um, and then we started it and just kept doing it. And finally a body of work was taking form and it's in this format that everyone derides. Yes. Everyone says with a particular kind of snobby contempt that says more about them than it does about the thing. When people say podcaster, when they say podcast, yeah. Um, it's like saying the N word, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and it's the only people you say saying, see saying this with, uh, the tone that I'm talking about are failed podcasters themselves or people who have nothing to show, no body of work, absolutely nothing. And they're, they think that they could do it better uh, because it's allegedly so easy. You know, it's just recording yourself. How can it be that hard? Anyone can do it. Um, but everybody cannot do it. And so there's this like, bitterness about it this intense intense antagonistic bitterness about it on all sides and we're at a point where um independent podcasters broadcasters you know it's just radio it's this resurgence of radio are 
having more notable countercultural influence than anyone in society. Okay, cinema is dead. Uh, the music industry is dead. You can't make money in these things at all, um, especially with music. All of these old creative forms are gone with the wind. But there is this big industry of interesting people just recording themselves because the mainstream media is so cloistered and censored and it's this evil, actively horrible, antagonistic, uh, evil institution. Um, and that's the power of it. Um, where am I going with this? It feels good to me to be a person who, uh, felt like this, like bitter, bitter kind of creative type with all of these interests. Like I had something to say and I can look at the list of perfume nationalist episodes at this point, it's like 144 or something, uh, wow. which should uh be experienced in order uh yeah <laughs> in order full story yeah in their entirety uh much like samuel richardson's clarissa as a massive uncontainable work um it feels good to see that uh that there's a record of the last three years of my life and, and I... yeah go, go ahead <laughs> no i mean i wanted to i want to get into like i want to just kind of hear you narrate the because i know and you've done it over the course of the podcast itself but i mean kind of as an introduction to people who aren't aware of the of the entire story i wanted to ask you about like the early how how you took those first steps and the various trials okay. and tribulations but and and I, i'm curious about that and i want us to lead from there to we need to put we need to nip this whole we need to shame this whole podcast bashing uh, 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 fashion out of like yeah. off screen. I mean, we it can is never time. do it because they, they, once they choose the Joker's mode identity of being the salty little hater, um, it's, it's over for them. But, uh, can I smoke a cigarette first? Oh, yeah, we'll yeah, get sure. into it. Yeah, okay. For sure. Um, yeah, we just leave everything running on my, yeah, screen. I'll just leave it running and come oh, back we'll... in a couple minutes. Well, folks, that's the end of the free hour. But good news, Jack and I go at it for another 100 minutes, even deeper into the cultural battlefield uh, on this special edition episode. You can listen to that if you subscribe on Patreon to our premium feed. There's a lot of other premium content on there already, already loaded and plenty, plenty coming up. And it is good so I hope to see you on the other side of the paywall. We will be back with a new feature, Filthy Armenian Adventure Cinema Radio episode next week. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff I have lined up. So thank you for listening, and I hope you check out the rest of the episode.